0: This reading comes from Isaiah 11one to 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw with the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nation will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Well last week,
1: uh, we traveled uh, east uh, for the holidays, and one of the things we got to do was drive through my hometown uh, to my brother who still lives there and When we drive through the town, we go by our high old high school. My wife and I both went to the same high school, and we went by the old high school, and the thing is is just they just keep adding to it you know because where we grew up has grown and grown and around the Washington DC area and it just the population keeps growing, and they keep building houses and the schools keep getting bigger. And now it's it was like a size B school when I was there. And now it's triple A and they're winning state championships and football and all this stuff. And and so all this is going on in our hometown. And actually a couple years ago we went, my nephew played for the football team and we were going to one of the football games and we had to park out cuz there were so many people going to the football game there. We had to park away from the fields and everything and kind of make our way. So, we said to ourselves, let's cut through the school, right? We'll cut we'll find a door open and we'll cut through the school and go to the to the field and we were cut through the school. We didn't know where we were. We were lost. We were like, "Oh, well, I don't know what section of the building we're in, you know." And like, how could this be? We we grew up here. We we went to school here and then all of a sudden we hit down, come down this hallway and it's like, oh, this is it. There's the old school. There's like this old part of the school inside the big gargantuan school. And we could find, I found my locker from high school in that hallway. I remember which locker was mine. I don't think the combination would still work, but I think the the locker was there. And I found this this remnant, right, of my hometown high school. I think about this Kind of concept, you know, there's a part of the original there in the midst of this growth. There's this part of the original, what I say would say is the DNA there that, that we were able to connect to and get back to and have a little bit of a nostalgic moment as old people. I guess we're old people now. But I was thinking about that. That's kind of what Isaiah's talking about. He's talking about this idea that this new king is gonna come, but this new king is gonna actually have old origins. This new king is actually going to come out of an old stump, an old root system. Not brand new, new tree, new seed, new uh, planting, but really that this shoot was going to come up, this branch was going to come up out of an old cut down stump. Think about it. That somehow God was going to bring about regeneration in this new king that was being, this Messiah that was being predicted by the prophet Isaiah in the, in the prophet Isaiah 700 to 750 BC. So Isaiah is talking about this future king, this future Messiah and talking about what this person would be like. But the point that Isaiah is making is this person's going to come from old roots, from the branch, from the shoot of Jesse. Actually, it's interesting that Um, in the town of Jesus, who, uh, all right, Sunday school question this morning. Where did, what's the hometown of Jesus? Jackson. What's that? Nazareth. Very good. Nazareth, right? A lot of people I thought might say Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born, but he grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth, or Nazareth, the Hebrew word there comes from the same Hebrew word for branch or shoot. So he grew up in a town, in a rural town, in a hill town, where they were expecting the Messiah. (laughs) They were expecting this branch to come from Jesse's lineage, from Jesse's tree. And Jesse, if you recall a little bit more teaching this morning, but if you remember, Jesse was the father of the King David. And they lived in Bethlehem. That was their hometown where Jesus was born. And so when Samuel comes to anoint the new king, he goes through all of Jesse's sons and Jesse, and he says, none of these are going to be king. Do you have another son? And he says, well, I have one more. He's out in the fields with the sheep. His name was David. And he anoints him king and he becomes what, who we know in the Old Testament as King David. So what Isaiah is saying to the people is that there's going to come a king who's going to be of old origins, who's going to be a king like David, who's going to be one like the son of Jesse, this branch or shoot's going to come up again out of this old stump, out of these old roots. And this is going to be this new kind of king. That's what Isaiah is talking about this morning. Jeremiah also predicted this same type of Messiah. Jeremiah, the prophet, Jeremiah says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Again, we see another prophet saying the same thing that Isaiah is saying. These prophecies about the coming of this new kind of king. And so this is what's going on. Did you hear that we actually sang this this morning? Did you know we sang this this morning? Did you hear it? Maybe you didn't catch it. I know the people up here on the stage caught it, right? We sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We sang the second stanza of that. Let's go back and look at the lyric for that. O come thou, what? Rod of Jesse, branch of Jesse, root of Jesse, shoot of Jesse, right? Free thy own from, free thy own from Satan's tyranny. We sang that this morning. And so that's what this season of Advent is about, this coming, right? Advent means coming. And so we're celebrating this idea that this new king is coming. So for us, though, we're on the other side of that, right? We're on the other side of celebrating that Jesus has already come. But at the same time, we're also looking to another coming of the king who will come and put things right in our world, a world that's not in peace, a world that's not using wisdom and understanding. And we need this king today more than ever. So I wanted to unpack a little bit this spirit of a good king that we see here in the text. Isaiah describes kind of the attributes of this, this Messiah, this good king that will come. And so here's the, some of the attributes that Isaiah unpacks for us. First of all, it says that it's going to be the spirit of Yahweh is going to be upon this person. And that the spirit of wisdom and understanding was going to be, be one of the, the two of those attributes for this Messiah king. And said so the king actually, any king actually needs both wisdom and understanding because a king had to rule, make judgments, make decisions. And it was with the wisdom of Yahweh that this king would make those decisions. It's with the understanding of God and Yahweh that the king would make those decisions. And so there was this spirit-led king that was going to be uh, uh, bringing them the good news. The second uh, pair of attributes is the next one, is the spirit of counsel and might. Now, what it's talking about here is the ability for the king to be strategic, counsel, to gather people around and to take the counsel of the spirit and the counsel of the Lord and counsel of wise leaders around him and then make strategic decisions and Might which also could be translated heroism or risk-taking. So a king also had to be a strategic risk-taker. The king had to be a leader, had to take strategic risk, but not for their own benefit. They needed to take strategic risks for the benefit of the common good of the kingdom and for the people that were following this king. And so there's this idea that the spirit of Yahweh would give them this great insight of counsel and might, of strategy and heroism and risk-taking. And we see that in Jesus, do we not, when he goes to the cross. That was strategic. That was a risk for our good. And then the last two attributes that I want to zone, cue in, clue in you a little bit more on this morning is these, uh, this idea of the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Knowledge and fear of the Lord. That this king would know that they were not an end in themselves. Like it's easy when you're, at the, when you're a king to just think it's all about you, right? But this king would know for certain that they feared the Lord, that they looked to the Lord, that they were humble before the Lord. You know, there's that old example. If You, you know what it means if you ever find a turtle on top of a fence post? You know what that means, right? If you ever see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know this, they didn't get there by themselves, right? Somebody put them there. That's the fear of the Lord. That's the spirit of Yahweh saying the king will know that he did did not get there on his own, right? God had placed the king in that position for the purposes of God, not for their own purposes, not for their own glory. And that's part of the fear of the Lord. A lot of times we get this idea of fear of the Lord and we think it's uh, sometimes it's about the fear that we experience, you know, when we're afraid of something or we're afraid of the darkness or we're afraid of heights or whatever that fear is. We think that may be the fear of the Lord. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is more about awe and reverence. But oftentimes, we find ourselves actually not surrendering to the knowledge and fear of the Lord or humbling ourselves before the Lord because we're afraid that God will actually catch up to us or change us or do something in our lives. So we actually are running in in a different kind of fear. Uh, For example, there was a a car that was stolen in Minnesota. This happened several years ago, but a car was stolen in Minnesota. And um, the state troopers in Minnesota were looking for the driver of this car because they learned from the owner of the car that the owner had left a, a box of, of crackers, snacks, in the front seat and they were all laced with rat poison. And so they were concerned because he, had, he was going to get rid of the rats in his, uh, on his farm, I believe, and so he had laced all these crackers, these snack crackers, sitting on the passenger side seat in his car with poison. So now they were in pursuit of this person not because he had stolen a car, but because they wanted to save his life, right? So why is he running? Why is he trying to evade the state troopers? He's afraid of getting caught, right? He's afraid that they're going to catch up to him and he's going to get caught for stealing the car. When all along, what's actually motivating them is not just to get the car back, but to save his life, right? And so they have a different concern. I think a lot of times, We get the fear of the Lord mixed up, so we run in fear, the wrong kind of fear. Rather, the fear of the Lord causes us to surrender ourselves to God, and causes us to surrender ourselves in such a way, and humble ourselves to God in such a way that we allow our lives to be saved. Right? So he could have turned himself in. Right? Not. Just because, because, and what would he have had to do to turn himself in in that situation? He would have had to stop fearing and running away and he would have had to turn to a different kind of fear and that is respect and awe for those in authority and surrender himself to that not, and then realize when he does that, he would have realized he would have saved his life. And that's what God does for us. When we humble ourselves before God, when we surrender to the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, God actually saves us. God actually regenerates us. God actually creates in us a new spirit and a new creation in us when we surrender to the Lord. And it's out of fear and reverence and humility that we do that. If we don't have that, we will never surrender. If I don't have humility, if I don't have a fear of the Lord, I will probably never surrender to the Lord because that's required for that surrender and for that regeneration to happen. At some point, I've got it surrender humbly surrender myself to what God is doing and wants to do in my life. And there's something that the king wants that the Lord wants to do in this king Messiah. If you keep reading the Isaiah passage, you see that what happens when the spirit of the Lord is upon this king, when the spirit of the Lord is upon this Messiah, and if you will remember when Jesus went to the synagogue and he read from a text, a prophet, right? in the synagogue and what were the first words he read to the people in the synagogue when he started his ministry, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? He was the fulfillment of what Isaiah was talking about. And when the spirit of the Lord is upon a leader, when the spirit of the Lord is upon a king, it brings about peace. That's what the spirit does. And you'll notice that when Isaiah describes the peace that people will experience, Isaiah actually uses a description of a rural village, sheep, ox, children. If you can imagine children sitting in the dirt who were exposed to cobras and vipers because they would be sitting on the ground and those vipers and uh, cobras would be on the ground. What's being described here is people living in a rural village, people who were herding sheep and taking care of cattle. And the description is of these these prey and predator no longer being at odds with one another, but this peace that would exist in such a way that prey and predator would actually be in relationship with each other, would actually be at peace with each other. And so that's the description. And I think about the rural nature of that because a king also knew that if if The people, the farmers, the agricultural community, the people in the village surrounding the city of the king were not cared for, were not taken care of. The city was in jeopardy. The leadership of the whole city was at jeopardy because if, if the rural farmers were not protected, if there was not peace in the land, and if they were afraid that they were going to be attacked, it would actually affect the whole kingdom. And that's part of also why Isaiah talks about the poor and the needy and the focus of the Lord upon helping that a good king and the spirit of peace will bring hope and healing and bring goodness to those in need and those in poverty and those who are the working class people. It's interesting too that in the story of the Christmas story that we'll read on Christmas Eve, where do the angels show up? Do they show up in the city or do they show up in the fields, in the rural village, in the shepherd's fields, right? Right? That's where the angels go to announce the good news, the peace of Christ. And that's because of what Isaiah is talking about here. So all these things start to come together when we start to go back to the prophecy of Isaiah, and we'll look at this again next week, and we start to see what happened in the Christmas story, that this continues to go on. Now, Isaiah, though, was prophesying at a time when the kingdom of Israel was split into two and was shrinking their power, their influence was shrinking. They were actually being cut down to a stump of a nation. They were being taken out, basically, by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And so during uh, Isaiah's time, he actually walked through the streets of Jerusalem naked. He would fit right into Seattle, I'm pretty sure. So, but the reason he did that was to call attention to the politics, right? The politics of his day, the, the policies they had with Egypt. He had some problems. God had some problems with how they were relating to Egypt and depending upon Egypt and seek, and how the nation of Israel, the leaders of Israel, were seeking their own power and independence. And they wanted to be a powerful nation like everybody else. Where God had called them as a nation to actually be a servant to the nations not a powerful nation, not an independent nation, but God had called them to be a servant nation, to bring good news, to bring light to a dark world, to be a peacemaker among the nations. And yet they had rejected that call. And so Isaiah was speaking out against the leaders and the people of Israel, saying that God is going to take you down to a stump because you have rejected the call of God. In your life. That's what Isaiah was saying. But Isaiah was at the same time also saying there's going to be hope because I'm, we're going to raise up a new shoot out of this stump, a new branch out of this stump that will be a spirit-led leader, a spirit-led king that will regenerate the people of God. So think about this. So I was thinking about all this. You know, I've, I've done a lot of teaching this morning. Hopefully you got it all. You Everybody took notes, right? So then I started thinking about, what about us? What about today? You know, do we reject God's call? Do we reject God's role for our lives in pursuit of our own power and our own independence? Are we doing that? Is economics driving us at all right now? Are we maybe neglecting those in need around us because of our own economic situations and drives right now in what we call the Christmas season, right? What are we doing economically right now as, a, as people? What are we doing? I guess that's rhetorical. We're spending money, aren't we? We're spending. And that's because... We have neglected our own spiritual development in this season based on another calendar called the commercial retail calendar. Anybody know what that looks like? Here's the retail calendar we're under right now. September begins what's called the Christmas creep. That's not a strange guy in a Santa suit. That's what that is, is this idea that retailers, especially big box retailers, are starting to put out Christmas decorations in September now, just a little bit, just a little bit to get us thinking about Christmas season, right? And it's called the Christmas creep because it keeps creeping earlier and earlier in the retail world, right? Then we have another special day in the retail counter called Black Friday right? And we call it Black, Black Friday because stores, retailers go from being not profitable to profitable. They go from being in the red to being in the black. Notice that we've named it as a blessing for the retail industry, right? We're blessing the retailers. We're economically uh, taking care of our businesses. And so we call it Black Friday. Now, because of online uh, sales as well. Now we have a whole new thing that's come about in my lifetime called Cyber Monday. And so we, instead of working on Monday, we sit at our desks at our workplaces and we order online stuff. And we hope that our bosses don't see us doing this, right? So we're, we're going and we're buying and we're purchasing again online. And then just to make sure we don't feel too guilty, we have a Giving Tuesday where we then give to nonprofits. Uh, I love what... Um, Um, I think it was Mike Popchuk, Mike said to me, he's like, we got this backwards, right? We need to have giving Tuesday before all the spending, not after. And I thought that was a great idea. It's true because we now wait till after we've spent all this money to then, okay, what do I have left over to give to those? Um, And so that's what's going on, right? And so what's driving this is economics, right? Economics is driving this calendar and I think about this, how we get caught up into this calendar, right? We get caught up into this spending and this economy and wanting to do these, all these wonderful things. And at the same time, are there people among us that are in need? Are there people among us that are in poverty? Are there, people, are there places in the world where there is not peace, right? Let me show you another calendar called the church calendar or the religious calendar, or the spiritual calendar, starts with Advent, which is after Thanksgiving, by the way. And we spend four Sundays remembering that Christ came and that Christ will come again. And the season of Advent was originally meant, if we go back to the roots of it, if we go back to the original DNA of it, it was spiritual preparation for another day called Epiphany. So the time of Advent was to prepare our hearts, to prepare our spirits, to get our lives rooted back and grounded to God in our spiritual lives so that we could celebrate the coming of Christ on Christmas Day. And then we would actually celebrate for 12 days. What happened to that? Can you think about this? 12 days of gifts. What do you think, Jackson? What do you think? Good job. I think we ought to, no, I'm just kidding. But think about that. How, what, what do we do in those 12 days of Christmas instead of what we're doing in those 12 days of Christmas is actually what? We have one day of Christmas and then return gifts, go back to the retailers, do all the retail stuff, right? Whereas Christmas was meant, meant to be 12 days of celebration. That was, I wonder what it was like when we actually did that. I've never known that. But think about that, how that was celebration. And it all led up to another day called Epiphany, which is a fancy church word, word that you may or may not have heard, which re- reminds us it was a celebration of when the wise, the wise magi came to give gifts to Jesus, to give to the king. And it was a worship, worship and celebration. And all the spiritual preparation and Advent and Christmas that was going on for people, they actually, people would be baptized on Epiphany. So Advent was a time of preparation to make room for Jesus in our hearts, in our minds. Let every heart prepare him room. We sing that. We sing that in one of our hymns, right? So Advent is a time for us to make room for God, for Jesus, for the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of God to be upon us and in our lives. That's why I'm so thankful that we're in church today, (laughs) because this is a moment where we get to get back to our roots. And we also, as a church, some of the things you heard about today, you know, the giving tree, where we're going to help those in need. I think about Christmas Eve. Every year at Christmas Eve, we give away our Christmas Eve offering to those around the world in need. We don't keep it for ourselves. It is a reminder that we're to be a blessing to those in poverty, where it'd be a blessing to those in need. This is not a season for getting more for ourselves, but it's really a season for being the the Messiah, representing our Messiah, our King, Jesus. That's what we're called to do. So my question, the question of this series is, are you ready for christ Miss. But the question really is, are you ready for christ Because Christ is coming again. And what will we be doing when Christ returns the second time? What will Jesus find us doing when Jesus returns that next time? So are you ready? Are you ready for Christ? What would Christ find in you and in your life today if Jesus were to show up today? Let's pray together.